2: The Athletic Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts including this one Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com totally
3: Totally Football Show European Edition On the way today Schalke win Bayern trip Madrid have problems with white powder and there's some top quality draw in Amsterdam All that plus Dreamy Hakimi Palmer drama and Benzema sex tape blackmail latest in this Totally Football Show European Edition in association with Paddy Power Hello, listener. Hey, thanks for joining us, by the way. It is Tuesday, the 12th of January, 2021, but you knew that. And I'm James Richardson. Probably you're also across that. Uh, and I'm joined by the regular gang. Hello, James Horncastle. Hello, Julian LaRose. Hey, Alvaro Romeo. And hello, Raphael Hornigstein. Hey, I get excited every week about this time, but this week particularly so, because it seems like there are so many great stories to bring our listener this time. Eh, hey,
4: Yes, they are. I mean, certainly in France, it was a, a really good weekend where Lyon had a winter champions, which is good. Didn't yeah. happen to them for a long time. They have a very strong team. They have a really good chance to win the league, but it's also Martial Pochettino's first win in charge. As a PSG manager, they beat Brest 3-0 uh, and it was a good good night for his return to the Paris des Prince, The Ultras had a nice banner to welcome him back, uh, even if there was no one there, of course. But yeah, it was cool.
3: What did the banner say?
4: Uh, 18 years later, because obviously the when he left the club was 18 years ago, uh, mm. it's good to have you uh, welcome back captain, uh, because obviously he's left as a PSG captain.
3: Oh, that's nice. I hope you've got something left over for your moment of the weekend there, Jules, because... Uh, I thought that was it. That wasn't the moment of the weekend yet, but it's going to be ah. very shortly. It was just a general appreciation of what a huge weekend, I mean, particularly in the Bundesliga. But I tell you what, just to just avoid any other kind of premature spaffing of, of, of top top events this weekend, let's get your moment of the weekend. Let's start with Rafa, though. Rafa.
5: Wow, difficult to choose from because we had many big moments in, in Germany. I think it has to be Schalke winning against Hoffenheim, though, especially the first goal from Matthew Hopper, hat-trick mm. hero from the US of A, uh, avoiding that Tasmania-Berlin record of 31 games without a, a win. Schalke ending their run at 30, courtesy mm. of that
3: win. It was a Hopper finish for Schalke. James, your moment of the weekend. Well,
6: I liked listening to Simeone Inzaghi, the Lazio coach, who had lost his voice to such an extent uh, that Rino Gattuso, uh, the Napoli coach who was basically waiting to be post-match interviewed, he'd also lost his voice and said that they uh, they both sounded like Sese Cosme <laughs> and that uh, they just had such gravelly voices by the end of... Uh, their games, but uh, moment of the week probably has to be Josip Ilicic's performance against Benevento. Uh, his teammate, Luis Muriel, said it was like he, 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 f- he was floating uh, yes. over all the rest of us. He was that good.
3: He was balletic. Levitating, just, mm. you know, on another level, James. Zen. Right. Super. Sergi Cosmi, by the way, if you know, you know. Alvaro, what's your moment of the weekend?
7: Well, it has to be the colour of the weekend because it has been white and... Mm. Pretty much the whole country has been snowed in, especially the center of Spain, Castilla, Madrid. And the ramifications of that is probably the most interesting thing. The fact that Real Madrid uh, was, uh, or Real Madrid's plane was in the runway for four hours on Friday, waiting to take off to Pamplona. Uh, The fact that Atletico de Madrid uh, versus Atletico de Bilbao game was cancelled or postponed as well. So I think that the controversy between what La Liga wanted the clubs to do. And what the club should have done, probably not travel from Madrid anywhere, uh, is the is the big issue of the of the weekend, yeah.
3: Yeah. Eight inches of snow falling in twenty four hours, thanks to Storm Philomena. We'll hear much more about that shortly. a uh, Julien though, your moment of the weekend.
4: Yeah, so I mentioned already Lyon and, and PSG and and maybe my moment of the weekend, which was it came just before the weekend, but it has to be Karim Benzema and the, the Valbuena Sex Step Story where Karim will now have to face trial uh, for this incredible story that has been dragging on for six <laughs> years now and we will have to wait another at least six months to see the, uh, the trial starting and Benzema being um, in front of the, of the judges but I just still find it an incredible story so that has to be the moment of the week
6: this story never goes away. It never goes away. This story. It's like we were talking if, about this when we had a TV show on BT it, Sport. That was a long, long time ago. It feels that, like it's calciopoly. That's ex- just, That's exactly no. what I
4: was going to say. This is this is pure, you know, BT EFS stuff territory. This is incredible. <laughs> Sorry, can I just ask? Is this a second series? Uh, that's still the, <laughs> the
5: yeah, that's a new Netflix. The, the uh,
4: that's the new Netflix documentary. Um, because there was no, it's the same stuff. I mean, he risked five years in jail and seventy-five thousand euros um, fine. I don't, th- I don't. That's think what he's he, facing. That's what he's facing for obviously having taken part in the uh, the the blackmail in the Macho Albuena's sex tape story. Mm. Uh, he's accused of having trying to blackmail. Uh, Valbuena uh, to help his best friend uh, Karim Zenati, who had the sex tape himself who seems according at least to the investigation and the police that Zenati and Benzema were both trying to get money out of Valbuena. It looks like Karim Benzema is quite eager actually for the trial to explain himself and show people that he did- never asked Valbuena for anything or any money at all but we know from uh, phone phone taping and recordings that maybe that's not completely true. So we will have to see, but it's just... I'd still rather watch
6: Bridgerton, personally.
4: Oh, you lying. That's not true. You would not want to watch Karim Benzema facing trial for blackmailing Macho Valbuena for his sex tape. It's got nothing on Bridgerton.
3: Will they play the sex tape,
4: George? I, I would think... I, I, I don't know, but I have would you think Have seen the sex so. tape?
3: You're not saying no. I'll move on.
4: <laughs> the will move on. But the thing about it is, what was also very shocking is, of Valbuena and Karim Benzema had a chat in in Benzema's room at Clairefontaine before when they were with the national team preparing for a game with France, right? Right. Then Benzema called his friend Karim Zanatti, who has the video, who asked Benzema to speak to Valbuena to... You know, sort it out, as they say. Mm-hmm. And then it's the way Benzema and Zenati talk about Valbuena. Poor, I mean, poor little Mathieu Valbuena. You know, little, little bicycle, which is his nickname, of course. And the way, the way Benzema, especially, <laughs> t- you know, like some of the things he says on Valbuena, how he qualifies him to put him that way, or insults him even to his mate Zenati, which I think shocked a lot of people in France when, when all those um, tapes were made public. From the beginning it's just crazy I don't know Bridgeton is great but right. like, this will be very special too I think
3: okay I, I see a totally football show Europe spin-off series the Benzema tapes Jules we'll talk more about yeah. that afterwards
4: I, th- I think I think this is definitely done our uh, you know stuff okay
3: great well uh, let's get underway with some of the football that took place over the last couple of days and our first protocol is yes the Bundesliga. The Totally
0: Football Show European Editions Moment of the Weekend, brought to you by Paddy Power. Defenses may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. Hit one leg of your four-plus fold acker lets you down. Get a free bet. Max free bet ten pounds. Minimum odds one to five per leg. Online exclusive. No shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware. Oh,
3: oh, Sounding a little bit like the Valbuena sex tape there, those are Munch and yeah! commentators celebrating the extraordinary 3-2 victory that Borussia Munch had this weekend over Bayern Munich. Raphael Honigstein, the original classic of this, and A Bayern Munich team who had conceded first in each of their previous eight Bundesliga games but had come back uh, to avoid defeat in each one of them. This time they went 2-0 up. A dangerous scoreline.
5: Certainly was for them, James. Uh, They couldn't handle it for some reason. They'd actually played really well up until going 2-0 up. Leon Goretzka, the scorer of the Bayern second goal, called it the best 30 minutes of the season. Hmm. But then they lost their way quite dramatically. They made silly mistakes in the build-up. The defensive line was pretty shoddy. They weren't sharp at the back either. And they conceded three goals. Two before half time, and then another one. And when they tried to chase the game, there was actually very little coming from them, which brought the lack of options on the bench into sharp relief. So a combination of all sorts of factors combining to what was in the end a deserved defeat. Not necessarily one I think they will have Bayern too worried because it is only the second time. Uh, this season, but still one or two signs that they might have to perhaps change things a little bit when it comes to playing their high line in light of the uh, lack of freshness um, and lack of coordination at the moment.
3: It's only the second time in 54 games that Bayern have lost in all competitions. Just to talk about the goals a little bit, Goretzka's goal, which put Bayern 2-0 up, was pretty nice, but then that Stindl turn and pass to set up Hoffman... To pull them back into the game, Glad back, and and then he sets Hoffen up again before uh, Neuhaus uh, wins it with the with the with the third goal. Is Stindl looking pretty special there.
5: Yeah, La Stindl is is probably the equivalent of uh, Thomas Müller for this Gladbach team. You know, experienced, leading the line from the front as the captain. I mean, Müller is not the captain, but he plays a similar role when it comes to kind of coaching the team. And of course, this is a Gladbach team without Markus Thuram, who's still suspended for that spitting incident earlier uh, in the season um, but they don't seem to need him Jonas Hoffmann has come back really strongly after his injury uh, La doing great work there and yeah it was a deserved win I mean Gladbach waited for Bayern's mistake and then really capitalised and when they had to defend unlike in some of those big games in Champions League they managed to see it out and instead and, uh, and, and and hold hold fast as it were so yeah, really, really good performance from them.
3: Full Train BMG asks, "What does Raphael make of Gladbach's very odd season so far? Drawing against very beastly teams, but progressing in the Champions League and now beating Flicks Bayern once again. Can they push on towards the Champions League places from here, or is the squad too stretched? And will they keep Rosa?"
5: Wow, well, that's quite a few questions at the same time. I think Marco Rosa will be. I don't want to say for definite, but I think there's a strong chance that he will leave in the summer and go over to Borussia Dortmund. That's a um, badly kept secret that he's talking to them. There is a release clause. We don't know how high it is, but it, it looks as if it's going to happen. Can they push into the Champions League places? Well, they should be. Um, they finished in the Champions League places last year. They, they are strong enough to target top four. The problem that they have is, of course, that with Bayern, Leipzig... And Dortmund, they have three teams that are stronger than them. So it is effectively only one place they're really fighting for. And there is strong competition in Leverkusen this year. But they can still do it. Why is it that they have sort of an uneven season? I think it was to be expected with the Champions League and those huge games. We've seen a drop-off in form between the Champions League and, and the Bundesliga, where Dortmund, sorry, I presume you hard work, sometimes has, they've been unable to, to replicate that form twice in the same week. And they've dropped a lot of points against uh, opposition that they should have beaten, uh, giving away one the leads, that sort of that sort of stuff. So an encouraging sign, but I think ultimately it's still going to be very, very difficult to make top four again for the reasons we mentioned.
6: They also look like they're about to get a very promising player from Ligue 2 in Coadio uh, Corneille.
4: Yeah, but he will stay, he'll stay in France until the end of the season, I think.
6: Still, I think uh, it's yeah, an exciting signing.
4: Very exciting, yeah. And they, Milan wanted him as well and, and Gladbach got him. Uh, one thing that I found quite... Uh is the fact that after
7: Neuhaus scored the third goal for Gladbach, Bayern didn't really create any chance or any clear chance. And I think Rafa uh, has uh, referred to this. But at the same time, why did Hansi Flick not uh, move the bench a little bit more? And, you know, uh, I think that only one uh, sub was made. Uh, Kingsley Coman came onto the pitch. Is it because Flick doesn't really trust on the rest of the players he's got in the squad?
5: Well, that's a question that, that, that was asked of him and he denied it strongly. He said, we felt the game was going, that I had the best players on the pitch and there was no need to change necessarily. Um, Kingsley Coman was the obvious one. Serge Gnabry, unfortunately, was injured. He might be back in the in the cup this week. But yeah, there is, there is an underlying debate, if you will, about Bayern's depth and the players on the bench not being quite the same calibre that they had last year. Last year, in this type of situation they would have been able to throw on Philippe Coutinho, for example. And this year it is Jamal Muziala, who's very talented, but perhaps not the first go-to creative player you, you know, as, as a treble winner that you, you'd think of. So there is that. And there is this kind of secret, silent, if you will, tug-of-war going on as well between Hansi Flick and Hassan Salihamid, who's the sporting director, I think Salih, Salihamidzic thinks that the players that were brought in are perhaps not giving, given enough chances to play. Marco Rocco it, it would be an example. And I think Hansi Flick seems to suggest, and I don't want to say it was a political message that he was sending, but just through deducing from you know his decision-making, he seems to think that maybe those players brought in are not really the solution for this Bayern side to make them truly stronger. But they've already said they won't buy um, this January. So they'll have to make do with what they have.
3: Well, for now, Bayern are still top of the Bundesliga. Still two points clear because Leipzig, their nearest challenger, went and lost 3-1 at home to Borussia Dortmund. Wow. Erling Haaland back and on fire.
5: Rafa. Uh, he was. Um, but the whole Dortmund attacking department, as it were, they were brilliant. Uh, the goals, all of them, all three of them were, were sensational. Beautiful movement between Royce and Sancho, who had a very good game. Haaland, uh, Giorena, as well. They they were brilliant. And ultimately, I think that was the difference. You know, Leipzig played pretty well, especially in the first half. Uh, they had one or two opportunities. Uh, Olmo hit the post when they were 1-0 down. But... The individual quality that Dortmund had, combined with what looked a much better organization, both defensively and when it, when it comes to challenging for the ball and, you know, cutting, cutting out the supply um, high up the pitch, was ultimately too too much. I think Leipzig would love to have players like Haaland and, and you know, and Sancho and Royce and Reyna. They Their players are good, but they're not quite the same level. And that made the difference. So huge win for Dortmund. uh, Combined with Bayern's loss, they now feel that they're back in the title race because they're only five points adrift. Whereas a couple of weeks before when Edin Tezic took over, all the talk was about fourth spot and how they had to get back into the Champions League. So they feel that they can aim higher now. And for Leipzig, of course, huge opportunity missed. They could have gone top. They could have put real pressure on Bayern. And now they're kind of nursing their wounds and thinking, you know what, maybe... We are only the third best team after all in this league, and it's going to be difficult for us to get anywhere higher than that.
3: Rafa, Dortmund's form since Zdzic took over has been pretty excellent. He's had, what, three wins in the last four. feels a little bit like he's doing something of a handsy flick from last season at Bayern. Are Dortmund convinced that they need to replace him with Marco Rosa?
5: I think that's still a plan. I think they still feel that that is that's an option that if they can get Rosa, then he's too good to to turn down because he's such a, a huge talent and would bring so much in terms of the personality the energy that they want I mean Tess is just doing is doing a very good job but I'm not sure it's been quite good enough to, to suggest or to to change Dortmund's minds as far as the long-term planning is concerned um, of course the more he keeps winning the more that you know, he might put himself into the sort of flick stratagem where Dortmund might begin to think twice about it. But we, we haven't reached that, that point just yet.
3: OK, well, well worth you checking out if you haven't seen uh, the goals from this game, uh, the highlights. But in particular, Haaland's run to set up his, his second goal, which is the phenomenal stuff. Phenomenal stuff. The other big story, of course... Well, the biggest other story in the Bundesliga this weekend was Schalke. We'll come on to that a little bit later on, because next up, we've got an appointment with Siria. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of
1: anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: You're listening to The Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic.
0: Right, James Horncastle,
3: this weekend in Serie A Big game, Roma-Inter, Sunday lunchtime at the Stadio Olimpico.
6: Yeah, it was a big game, James. Not only because of the, I suppose, the rivalry that really emerged between these two teams what from 2006 to 2010 but but also you know for the occasion itself because the night before Milan had won uh, extended their lead at the top of the table against Torino it put a bit of pressure on on both these teams who you know Roma quite surprisingly find themselves in the title race you know Inter because of the amount of money they've spent and sheer presence of Conte on the bench expect to be challenging for the title and you know, Roma took the lead. They have, in the early stages, bossed possession. Uh, I'd say that Inter had the better chances all the same. Um, Paulo Lopez in goal for, for Roma, who'd lost his place and wouldn't have been playing in this game had Antonio Mirante, the veteran backup, um, been available. He was sensational. Made some great saves from, uh, from Romelu Lukaku. Um, and then Conte made some good tactical changes, I thought. Um, you know, sort of switched to, to building up with a back four, put Brozovic next to De Vrij, um, and they got back into the game. Second half, the way they started it, it looked like there was only going to be one winner. Hakimi scored an absolutely incredible goal. He's really come good um, since December. I think that's now six in the league um, mm. uh, that he's got.
5: Has he adjusted to the more tactical style in Serie A?
6: Well now that he's had 6 months to learn about this thing called tactics Raf which are completely foreign um, to, to German coaches uh where you know the Bundesliga is 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 pretty amateur uh compared uh, compared to Serie A he's really hit his stride and uh I, I would say that most people when looking at uh, what happened in the in the final 20 minutes they would say mm-hmm. when Conte brought Hakimi off uh wasn't the kind of tactical decision to expect from such a maestro like Conte because it seemed to let Roma back into the game. Well, he um, he, he Fonseca, took off not
3: only Hakimi but also uh, Martinez yeah. who scored the other goal and Vidal as well. And yeah, the game completely turned.
6: The game turned. I think uh, Fonseca deserves some credit as well uh, bringing on uh, Cristante uh, in midfield who's who's been excellent uh, when when he's played the last few weeks. And uh, it was all Roma uh, for for the final 15 minutes and they deservedly equalised um, Gianluca Mancini who went close just seconds before getting uh, Roma's second goal, getting them a point. Uh, I thought Gonzalo Villar, who um, has been playing in midfield for Roma over the last few weeks, was one of the signings this time last year. He's really emerged as a, as a, as a really good playmaker uh, for the Giallarossi. Um, but ultimately, I think... Uh, the point is better for for Roma than it was than it was for Inter, who had lost in midweek to Sampdoria. You know, again, this was a game where they created enough chances to win the game but didn't. And they've got the small matter of the Derby d'Italia coming huh. up against Juventus um, nice. at the weekend. So. It's, it's an interesting time at Inter, James, because there's been a lot of speculation about the, the future of the ownership of the club. Um, there's uh, there's obviously a lot of speculation around the future of Christian Eriksen, who didn't feature at all in this game. Um, and Conte, after the game, once again kind of saying, well, you know, the difference in these games kind of comes from you know the depth that you've got in your squad. And he's got a deeper squad than anyone. He said that, you know, after signing Hakimi for 40 million in the summer, we didn't sign anybody, by which he means meant sign anyone for money because they brought in the likes of Arturo Vidal, uh, Kolarov, Damian. Um, and it just felt like he was kind of complaining again when you know, other, other managers just get on with it, with smaller right. budgets, spending less. Um, but Conte will be Conte.
3: Right. And it was an interesting comment from Beppe Bergami afterwards who said you kind of need to be ball-breaker like Conte to, to survive at Inter because they are a, a club that n- previously has, has put so much pressure and undermined their managers so consistently that you almost need to be just un, unrelentingly demanding as it stands though uh, they are three points now behind Milan who won a Saturday night 2-0 against Torino managed by their former boss Marco Giampaolo of course <laughs> um, and this is before Inter take on Juventus this coming weekend now Juve followed up their victory midweek over Milan with a fine 3-1 win over Sassuolo. Sassuolo, who admittedly got reduced to 10 men right on half-time. But uh, many impressive elements to this game and one or two worrying bits of injury news as well.
6: Yeah, it felt a bit like a Pyrrhic victory for um, uh, for Pirlo because um, he lost... Uh, Paolo Di Bala. He lost Weston McKennie. Although there's some optimism that he'll be available um, for for the Derby d'Italia. McKennie, who's been so good for them, although as we saw in this game, Ramsey has, has has been equally good when it comes to interpreting that role of being kind of a winger slash number ten. Um, Ramsey would score uh, in this game, the the, the go ahead goal. Um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, for I, I think Juventus for, for a team that were had a man advantage for, for such a long time in this game. It, yeah. The fact that they didn't win it really until, until quite late on, um, a little bit like the Udinese game raised, a, raised some questions. Um, but, uh, Kulusevsky who came on, uh, was absolutely, uh, brilliant. Um, yeah, set up a chance that, uh, Ronaldo should have scored from. Ronaldo did get on the score sheet right at the end. Um, but, uh, yeah for me I, I, I at least this season it's not a comment on the the kind of absolute talent on the players but 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 for me kulusevski should be uh when moratto is not fit and moratto did come back on uh as a substitute uh, last night um when kulusevski when when, when moratto isn't fit kulusevski should be playing next to um next to ronaldo not Dybala, I think he's he's so good in, 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 in tight spaces, uh, playing one-twos and creating chances. He's, he's, he's more the informed player at the moment for me.
3: Who's your money on this weekend then in the Derby d'Italia? Well, this is going
6: to be an interesting uh, question for, for Conte because um, Conte lost both of these games last year. Uh, and it was kind of surprising uh, given how in-form into were particularly in the, going to the first game at San Siro and, and kind of disappointed um and, and sarri was able to to edge edge the team um to victory and i, I must say just as i've made that comment about dibala memories come back that dibala played a starring role in both of those games i mean he, he scored an absolute sensational goal at san siro and then the best goal of his career as he sees it in the uh, in the reverse fixture at um uh, the Alliance as well.
4: I know, I
6: still think uh, Juventus are more of a work in progress than uh, than Inter are, and uh, I think it's going to depend on, on who they get back fit as well, because Delict um has tested positive for COVID-19. He missed the game against Sassuolo, Will in all likelihood, missed this game against Inter, and uh, I think they are, you know, more solid at the back, more able to play that high line that Pirlo wants um, with 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 him in the team. Um, so, kind of inclined to say slight favourites Inter, and boy, do Inter need. Um, I mean, they both do, because even I mean, looking at the league table at the moment, uh, James. Yes, uh, Inter have lost ground on uh, on Milan, but. Uh, Juventus are still four points behind Inter, albeit with a game in hand, and, uh, and seven points behind Milan. So, I mean, for Juventus to, to, to still have a chance of retaining their title, they really need to win this game.
3: Uh, Juve, who are seven points off the top as it stands uh, by process of deduction, have Napoli and Atalanta right behind them. We'll be hearing about those two clubs a little bit later on, but restless souls that we are. Next up, we're going to head across... To Spain. At Paddy Power,
0: we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions: go for a walk, walk the dog, walk to the shops, go cycling, cycle the dog, recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your four-plus-fold acca lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max we bet 10 pounds odds 25 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets tees and seas a play 8 plus big gamble
2: On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
3: Alvaro Snow Storm Filomeno dumped on Spain uh, the most intense snowstorm in the last 50 years. Is that right?
7: Uh, well, I wasn't there, but uh, <laughs> definitely in the last 37 or 38 years, right. I would say. Uh, <laughs> Lots of snow. Yeah, and many many people uh, yes, were uh, stranded in the roads, right. and many more couldn't even leave their houses. Uh, the roads were collapsed. So yes. Yeah, I think that it was pretty, pretty, pretty strong.
3: People skiing in in central Madrid.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Snowboarding as well, and uh, many people from the NHS just sending emails or writing tweets asking for anybody to drive them to the hospital so they could work. and, you know, uh, keep on doing what they have to do. So, yeah, it's been it's been pretty chaotic in Spain this weekend. Let's put it this way. And also in La Liga.
3: Right. I mentioned back at the start, something like eight inches of snow dropping in 24 hours and the cold is going to continue. It's predicted to hit minus 12 degrees centigrade by this Thursday. One game, only one game, was a casualty of this in terms of actually being called off last weekend. It was Atletico Madrid's game against Athletic Bilbao. Uh, Bilbao's plane to Madrid got turned around because of the heavy snowfall. Real Madrid, though, went ahead with their clash against Osasuna despite major problems in actually leaving the Spanish capital.
7: Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think that this is pretty disheartening from La Liga, I think, because they, they have been a little bit pushy as an institution uh, with some clubs with like Real Madrid and Rayo Vallecano, Getafe. And the Real Madrid case, I think that is very illustrative because uh, La Liga advised Real Madrid to travel to Pamplona to play against Osasuna. Um, they advise them to travel a day before the game on Friday, which is fine, which is fine. Uh, and probably Real Madrid should have a flight to Pamplona on Friday morning, not on Friday evening. But this is another debate. I mean, uh, the thing is that Real Madrid plane uh, with the players inside, uh, spent four hours in the runway in a snowed airport uh, on Friday evening. And by that time, on Friday evening, the Spanish authorities were recommending not to travel, not to leave home. Uh, So the plane had to be there for four hours and when uh, it took off late in the evening, uh, it was the last plane to leave Madrid in 48 hours. That tells you that the situation was quite risky and uh, yeah you should wonder whether Real Madrid should have uh, taken that plane and uh, travelled to to Pamplona in those conditions. The thing is that if they didn't travel to Pamplona probably they would have faced losing uh, the game uh, losing three points for not having shown up so they were pretty much compelled to to travel to, to Pamplona and Hence, Sinadin uh, Sidan's anger, uh, not only because uh, Osasuna's pitch was not in good conditions, according to him, which by the way, it's pretty much not true. I think that was as pitch was all right and uh, nobody really complained about that. Even Toni Cruz the German player of Real Madrid, was saying that the pitch was all right. And if it was bad, it was bad for both teams. But Real Madrid has not reasons to complain about the fact that they had to travel to Pamplona in those conditions. And I think that Rayo Vallecano, uh, who plays in the second division, should be fuming as well because they had to return to Madrid midway through their trip to the north, to Miranda de Ebro, because the the road was totally snowed up. And Getafe, for example, uh, who are playing on Monday against Elche, uh, basically they couldn't travel to the east of Spain. And La Liga sent cars to the Getafe players to travel to Barajas airport to take a plane to to Elche. The thing is that those cars weren't... uh, weren't uh, they didn't have the chains for example or they didn't they ha- they weren't like a four by four cars and uh, there is this shameful image of the getafe players having to push the car just to to help the driver to help the driver to 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 start it again so I don't think that this should have happened in the first place I think that the teams from Madrid should have never travelled to their games this weekend
3: but that does that does sound fair Alvaro It's left uh, Real Madrid. They they had a nil-nil draw, by the way, of course, away at Osasuna with uh, Karim Benzema, who's been in the news a bit of late, having two goals ruled out for offside Uh, in the second half. They now trail Atleti by a point. Simeone's side, Atleti, of course, have three games in hand. Down south, uh, Barcelona romped to their third league win in a row with a mighty 4-0 thumping of Granada. While down the road in Sevilla, in bright sunshine, Sevilla came up with a 3-2 win of a Real Sociedad, featuring the first hat-trick of Yusuf N. Naziri's career. Uh, I've got a question here about him. Uh, this is from Richard David Pike, says, uh, Alvaro, if Sevilla win midweek against Atletico, could they become title contenders? Their next five or six fixtures after this look generous. Also, after his hat-trick, surely N. Naziri is right now number one striker ahead of Luke jong
7: I'm going to answer the latter first. Mm. Yes, in the city is uh, Sevilla's main striker right now. Uh, pretty much because Luke de Jong hasn't been able to keep up the standards that he showed in July and August, when he pretty much gave uh, Sevilla the Europa League title. And the first question, I don't think that Sevilla is... Uh, title-winning contender? No, I don't think so, because they are already punching above their weight. I mean, if you check Sevilla's finances and how much they are paying to players and the fact that they have only signed five players over the 20 million threshold in their history, how can you ask a team like this to be contender? No, I think that Sevilla, they are doing definitely great. Um, they'll be trying to stay close as close to the top Um, as they can in fact the fact that uh, they have uh, extended Lopetegui's contract until 2024 is a good omen and a good sign Uh, Lopetegui understands that Sevilla is not a club where you can be complacent Uh, you you have to demand yourself a lot if you are there and um, the fact that Sevilla backs the manager is a very good sign but I don't think that this club can be a league contender basically because they don't have uh, such a squad as Barcelona Real Madrid or Atletico de Madrid they don't have players of that quality you can check the squad. They've got really good players, but they don't have top-quality players, apart from probably Lucas Ocampos and uh, Jules Koundé, uh, the French defender, who is phenomenal. As it stands, they
3: lie sixth, but only two points off the top four, which, as you say, might be a more realistic prospect. Barcelona, meantime, picked up their third straight league victory. They are three points behind Real Madrid in third place. But like Real Madrid, have played three more games than Atletico, the leaders. Uh, impressive here, a brace for Leon Messi, and also two goals for Antoine Griezmann. The second one was was a bit special. Jules, did you catch that?
4: Yeah, I watched it. I thought it was really good. I thought finally there's a bit of structure to that team. They they used the pitch really well. I thought uh, the movement was really good. And and when Griezmann plays like this, I mean, I think it's it's fantastic. I liked his first goal and how. Uh, smooth the turn was because it was a deflection, he had to you know he had to be on his toes, he had to be ready and it's a great finish. And I I, I think I'd, I'd never want to hear anyone again tell me that Martin Brethwaite deserved to start in that team ahead of Antoine Griezmann. Ever. You hear me? Ever
7: I'm not going to say that. I'm <laughs> not going you. to say that. Uh, but Antoine Griezmann I mean he has to show this level more often, that's for sure because uh, he's a player that uh, we know that he can play this well and uh, against Granada he was very good and uh, as Jules said his reaction in the first goal was excellent then the French connection in the second goal is a very promising one for Barcelona as well because Ousmane Dembélé for physical reasons mainly he hasn't been able to play more than 6 or 7 games in a row pretty much ever in his Barcelona career and now he seems to be physically up uh, for that challenge and uh, the good thing about Barcelona right now is that I still believe that they are in that tra- in a transitional season. I still believe that uh, this season is going to be more positive than the previous one because at least Barcelona is changing and they needed to change. And yeah, it's worth lamenting uh, not having Luis Suárez or having sold him to Atletico de Madrid because the Atletico is a, is a direct rival to win the league title. But, uh, you know, there are players like, or there were players like Luis Suárez or Arturo Vidal that weren't going to give anything new to Barcelona anymore. So it's great to see that the young Pedri Dembélé, players like this Young, the future of Barcelona They are little by little getting better And I believe that the last month Has been really positive for Barcelona And the last game especially Because the difference between The win at Granada And the win against Valladolid Or the win at Bilbao Is that against Granada Barcelona didn't suffer at the end of the game They wrap it up very quickly And this is something that we haven't seen this season They won 4-0 comprehensively. And Messi was phenomenal again, uh, to the point that he is already the La Liga Pichichi uh, after having had a very slow start of the season.
3: Mm. Oh, very interesting. Uh, A couple of other tweets that have come in. One from Akhlef Hanif, who says, I find it amazing. No clubs in Spain or Italy are even the slightest bit interested in Mesut Ozil. I feel he could do well in the latter, as it seems a shame at 32 to be considering a move to MLS or Turkey.
7: Yeah, but only one thing, and probably James uh, will say something similar, but who can pay Mesut Ozil in Spain, Right. apart from Atletico de Madrid, who doesn't need him because they've got Joao Félix, Barcelona and Real Madrid. The thing is that probably many Premier League fans would be surprised about how low the wages can be in La Liga in comparison to the Premier League. What,
3: what do you think, James?
6: Yeah, in Italy, it's all about cutting costs at the moment. I mean, Ericsson <laughs> is the kind of post-the-boy of that, in that this time last year Interpaid... Between 20 and 27 million euro for him and they're paying him 7 million a year net and no one's willing to kind of take him on so um well at least at this stage and certainly not for a not for a fee so the prospects of uh, Ozil going to Serie a seem, seem very far-fetched unless he was to take a significant decrease on his wages. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like the Turkish angle. I like the idea of him going to Fenerbahce. Um, Good. That would be sweet. Uh,
3: also in our bulging mailbag, Andrew says, can we have a mention for Edgar David's interesting debut as manager of Olienense? Olyanense <laughs> uh, This went well in classic David's fashion, yes?
6: Uh, unfortunately, I missed... Uh his his debut. It was a nil nil though, by the looks of it, against um how am I gonna butcher this name? Lusitano Evora.
4: Oh yeah, oh. yeah, that's 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 the yeah. how you say it. Yeah.
6: That's how I say it. Okay, great. <laughs> um he got sent off. Um so he'll he'll miss their next game, James, which you know, as an against avid as f- an avid fan of uh, the Campeonato de Portugal Prio um, they will be uh, resuming uh, the championship um, on the uh, well, next week the clearly oh no no it's yeah. Lagos
3: isn't it down in the Algarve Wednesday Lagos yeah, yeah Lagos. after that they've got that. Pinal Big Novence
4: game. huge game
6: yeah that's 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 huge they'll miss they'll miss Davids on the sideline mm.
3: um, uh, although well, it depends um, how long he'll be banned for whether he'll be back for, for the Pinal Novence game
4: but tactically yeah, well, already tactically you could see what he wanted to do what was it he wanted to do <laughs>
3: Get home early
4: (laughs) Get in the shower early
3: (laughs) Anyway Sorry listener That's really really shoddy And uh, the Portuguese third division Deserves better We'll be uh, Up to speed Next time We touch on Edgar Davids' uh, Burgeoning career Down there But on the subject Of Dutch and football Next up Let's get a brief window Into the wonderful world Of the Eredivisie With our pal Mikel Jongsma
2: This is the Totally Football Show Part of the Athletic Podcast Network
3: Mikael, thank you so much for joining us.
8: Good afternoon, James. How are you doing?
3: Very, very well. Thank you. So, top two this weekend, excitingly, coming together in the Eredivisie, Ajax against PSV, and it was a bit of a cracker.
8: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it it is always the biggest game uh, in in Dutch football when it comes to competitiveness. From a historical point of view, it's Ajax final, but these two teams have dominated the, the Dutch landscape over the last few decades, and uh, both look in really good shape at the moment, uh, especially PSV, uh, who were surprisingly taking a 2-0 uh, lead as well in, in in the Amsterdam Arena, or the Johan Cruyff Stadion, as it is called now. Uh, but for some reason, uh, they couldn't really hold on, and it finished uh, in a 2-2 draw, which leaves the title race wide open.
3: Mm. Four teams within three points now at the top of the divisi. One of the reasons that they couldn't hold on was Ajax dusting off their... Brand new signing, Sebastian Allaire picked up from West Ham. This is a move which has caused some surprise among observers of West Ham's season so far. Does it make more sense to you over there?
8: Yeah, absolutely. He's been tracked by Ajax for quite some time. They've talked with him uh, even when he was still at Utrecht. Uh, He he made his name in Dutch football a few years ago at Utrecht with uh, current Ajax manager Erik ten Hag uh, being his manager. So the two know each other really well. Um, stylistically, he seems like an ideal fit for the Zaire side as well, being uh, the type of target man that is quite good with his feet as well. Uh, to throw in a cliche, and um, yeah, he, he he is known by the coach. the 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 club has scouted him thoroughly, and um, yeah, for Halaire, at one point it was quite clear that this was the move he wanted to make, and I think that is what, in the end, accelerated it. Uh, accelerated the deal as well.
3: Mm. Yeah, he's, he's possibly happier there than he was. At the London Stadium, so and he he was actually involved in the in the goal which brought Ajax level from from two 0 down, coming back to draw two two this game. He, he I think he set up Anthony for the yeah. for the equaliser.
8: Yeah, he did. And overall, he was a, he was a bit rusty, but I think you could uh, instantly see the type of impact that he will be able to make at this Ajax side. Ajax don't really have that type of player at the moment. They have Clash and Huntelaar, of course, but I think he's thirty seven now. Uh, so, and he, he will uh, finish his career after the season. Uh, and Haller just provides a kind of platform that makes Ajax a bit more uh, versatile in attack the because they are known for their slick passing and that is what they usually do. Uh, but he really offers them an extra route, uh, even though he can participate in the, um, well, in the ger- ground jewels as well. And the way he set up Anthony for the 2 2 was actually quite nifty. And uh, he had already scored even uh, just before, but that goal was. Uh, rightly ruled out uh, offside so people are really curious to see what kind of impact he will make and he has a good reputation in the Eredivisie uh, so yeah, I mean, that this for Ajax is typically one of those signings where they feel like they have a, a proven striker with, uh, with a good pedigree, uh, still um, approaching his, his, his top years as well Um, And the fact that he can do it um, in the bigger games is is not really a surprise because, as Rafa probably can can tell you, he was quite magnificent at Frankfurt in the Bundesliga as well.
6: Mikael, we don't really get to talk about PSV all that much. I mean, I was surprised that they were able to appoint someone like Roger Schmidt, uh, given his reputation. I know he's been in China for a while, but they went into this game on five straight wins. They'd scored four in three of them. They've got some really, really good young players. They've even been able to beat some of, kind of Europe's elite to Sangaré, the midfield player. We already mentioned Kone is one of the guys from Toulouse. He was another one. What's, what's going right for PSV and how do they look under, under Schmidt at the moment in general?
8: Yeah, the appointment of Smirschmidt has been a bit of a game changer because uh, he is typically the type of coach that you would normally not see in the Air a guy with, with quite some experience uh, before. But um, he has been able to attract a lot of really interesting players. I think Philip Max was always on the radar of many uh, European, uh, well, not top sides, maybe, but at least uh, approaching a type of level. And as you say, Sangare was was one of the players that was uh, touted for a move to the Premier League. And the fact that Roger Schmidt is there uh, means that these type of players will um, will all uh, all of a sudden consider a club like PSV. And they they have just a plethora of attacking talent. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And I think uh, in general the this PSV side um, they they are still. Not completely clicking. They're still uh, very much a work in progress, and uh, Schmidt has uh, attracted quite some critique before because he's he's been quite, quite rotation mad uh, throughout this season. Uh, but yeah, it looks like they they seem quite fresh. They have they have a lot of uh, potential, and I think this is a really interesting side to to keep an eye on. Mikkel, I mean, we've
4: we've we've seen Ryan Gravenberg playing in in the Champions League with Ajax, and when he's been really good and and even scored a great goal, but Arthur in this game, I mean, he was outstanding. For someone so young, and I know you've seen many amazing young Dutch players coming through the Ajax Academy and
8: other academies, but how, how would he compare to what you'd seen before? Yeah, he, he is truly spectacular, and it's it's almost uh, impossible to think he's just 18. I remember a couple of seasons ago, he played for the young Ajax side, which plays in the second tier, and he looked absolutely Amazing. there already just completely dominating the midfield. And on a personal level, I kind of expected him uh, to step in the, uh, in the footsteps of uh, Frenkie de Jong right after he moved to Barcelona. Uh, last year, he, he did struggle a bit uh, with, with the step up. But this season, he seems so incredibly comfortable. And yeah, with, I, I think he's one of the most amazing uh, midfield talents that I've seen in the league for for ages. Right. And there wow. have been plenty, of course, because Frenkie yeah. de Jong was there only two years ago. So as it
3: stands, Mikhail, you have got as I mentioned four teams in three. Ajax on thirty-five points. PSV, PSV is very, a point behind them. Then Feyenoord and Vitesse both on thirty-two. You've had some really tight title races of late in the Eredivisie. Are we heading for another one this time?
8: Yeah, this this one is said to be really spectacular because it's not just Ajax and PSV that are are doing well. It's it's Feyenoord that look really solid on their uh, well the the veteran of Dutch football, Dirk van who is still as uh, well fanatic about, about wanting to win as as ever um, and uh, Vitesse have been the real surprise package with uh, with Lech being their their manager and he has done a really good job and i think Vitesse are a bit of an interesting case because they're they're obviously not playing in europe anymore uh, because of the the odd well situation with uh, corona and everything they've scheduled the top games all just quite late in the season so you're going to see a lot of Base, Fay, Ajax, Ajax Finer, those type of games in the next few weeks uh, and Vitesse have had many tougher opponents already so their schedule had been a bit uh, heavier than that of the other teams so far so it's going to be really interesting and I mean even a, a team like AZ is only seven points f- away from them that's a team with five Dutch internationals at the moment so um, I think overall the 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 uh the breadth of, of, of quality that you have in this league is quite unique. I haven't seen that for quite a long time, although the, the gap between the top sides and the bottom half side is, is is quite worrying at the moment.
3: You're gagging for it, I'm gagging for it. It's League 1 and here's Julien Laurence to tell us all about it. Jules, one point, un point, separating the top three.
4: Yes, that's right. Lyon are winter champions. Uh, yes. They drew at Rennes. On Wednesday night, on Saturday night, sorry, um, they were two 0 down. They were not playing well. Right. They find a way of coming back to get a point that keep them at the top. Clément
3: Grenier, their former player, uh, set Wren up with the opening goal. Memphis Depay gets the uh, the first goal back for Lyon, and then he sets up uh, Jason Denier for the two two. That's now sixteen games unbeaten for Lyon under Rudy Garcia. Uh, how significant is it them being winter champions? To what extent does that historically guarantee them the title at the end?
4: No, it's, it doesn't guarantee you anything. But usually, if you're winter champions, you, you end up winning the, the, the title. Um, certainly, when PSG were in that position, it usually worked for them. Uh, mm. and, and Lyon, let's not forget, don't play in Europe. Uh, they will keep Memphis the now, whoever comes for him. Uh, I think won't be able to make a deal. I think he's happy to stay too, although he was a bit not really clear on Saturday night after the game on, on French TV about his future. But I think the club has decided now this is it. This is a this is an incredible chance for them to win the, the league for the first time in 13 years. So they have to go for it. And to do that, they need to keep Memphis because he's he's their best player. He's their captain. He's, he's been really incredible this season. And they've got something really good going on. The way that Lucas Paqueta has adapted, the way he's changed their game, the way Rudy Garcia in fairness who deserves some credit for how well they've played in the last three months really by changing a bit the way they they, they used to attack a lot on the wings now it's it's more central with Awa and, and Paqueta but still quite good on the wings as well with with Dubois and Kone for example it's been it's been really good and the way they they play on the counter too they they really good fun to watch and they're really solid I think they, they will be there until the end I don't know if they will win it or if PSG or Lille will, will beat it to them, build them to it but, but they, will be, they will be there until the end
6: doesn't even mention Marseille
4: I was coming to it you don't <laughs> you see how you are and what, what about Moussa Dembele yes I mean, uh, yeah, so so how big is going to be his loss mm-hmm. no he was not playing he was not starting mm-hmm. anyway uh, and I hope for him that move to Atlético can can be positive in the sense that he needs to play. He was not playing enough. He was not, as I said, starting for this Leon team. You know, he, he had um, injuries and, and stuff like that that really hampered the season. I think he's a great finisher, but he needs to find a team that will, will almost play for him. And I think he can start with, with uh, Luis Suarez up front for Atleti. But the problem I have is that I understand the six-month loan with an option to buy but I think he will need he will need six months to adapt to La Liga and also to adapt to Simeone's football, which is very different. Even if if he's not as Simeone-esque that he used to be, he's still very different to anything he's, learned, he's known before. So I don't know how this will work, but I think it potentially could be a really good signing and could be a good move for him if he plays. If he's again on the bench a lot and just coming on for 15, 20 minutes, I don't think that's going to help him. That was the case at Lyon already.
3: Lyon as it stands, one point then ahead of Paris Saint-Germain and Lille. PSG this weekend getting their first win for Pochettino in his first home game in charge, uh, beating Brest 3-0. Lille, meantime, who are behind them on goal difference, had a 1-0 victory against bottom club Nîmes. Monaco moving up to fourth. Jules, they had a 3-0 victory against Angers, who face PSG next. What about Raymond Dominic? Jules Nantes?
4: Yes, they, they, they drew, which is the second draw in a row now since he took charge. Um, it's good that they scored. They didn't do in the first game. It was it was not great, to be fair. And, and Montpellier were a bit disappointing, although they took the lead. But without TG Savanier, it's not the same Montpellier team. But for now, it's good at least that they're not losing under Dominic. I think they still need to improve massively going forward, which I'm not sure he's, he can do it. But, but certainly, that was that was a positive point away from home like this. Well, it was a positive point against a team that Montpellier that you know is usually quite good. So it's good for, for PSG and Pochettino. It's a good win. And just on Brest, they were fantastic. They didn't deserve to lose 3-0. They could easily have taken a point uh, because they played so well on the counter-attack. They've got a, a player called Romain Fevre, who is fantastic, a young player who was at the Monaco Academy, who is going to be really, really good. So remember the name. And just quickly on Monaco... Because Kevin Volland has been incredible. And again, he was so good on Saturday. Really, really impressive. Not just the goal he scored, but everything. The way he works for the team, his his linker play. He's just such an intelligent player as well. He's, it's really good to see him at that kind of form because he arrived and I think he was really sure of match fitness. And it took him a bit of time to get going. But now it's a, it's a real pleasure to watch him play. Super.
3: And Marseille had a nil-nil draw with Dijon.
4: Yeah, they did, which was the disappointing um, uh, game of the night, really, because they were really poor. And and I think we need to talk about Dimitri Payet, which, again, was on the bench. Uh, he, he came on in midweek before to score a goal that was really important. And I think he thought he was going to start in that game. And he ended up on the bench. He came on and was really not bothered, was absolutely atrocious when he came on. And he had a bit of a, a go at Villas-Boas on, on Instagram and Twitter, what it looked like reminding Villas Boas how good his stats were since I don't know, for the last 18 months, which which has got a point. But this season he's been he's been pretty bad most of the time. And when he scored that goal in midweek um, last week, he had a reaction that it looked like he was saying to Villas Boas, "Are you crazy? Are you crazy to put me me Dimitri Payet on the bench?" Uh, and the fact that he was again on the bench, I thought was quite funny at the weekend. And maybe that was just. AVB saying like, you know, I don't care what you say. If you're not good enough, if you're not working hard enough at training, you're going to be on the bench. And he was against. So it'd be very interesting to see on Wednesday night in in Le Classique, in the uh, French Community Shield, to see if Payet starts or not.
3: Right, right. So the French Community Shield coming up on Wednesday, Jules. This is another huge chance. Marseille, who beat Paris Saint-Germain last time they faced each other.
4: Yeah, you're right. In September 1-0, if you remember that very uh, aggressive game full of controversy and incident and red cards, Let's see if this the same atmosphere. Obviously, PSG have a different manager. It'll be Pochettino's first classic as a, as a manager against AVB. Uh, it's played in Lens with no fans, of course, but it'll be very interesting to see. It's the first title available, uh, if you believe that's a title, for the season. So it could be good for Marseille to, to win it and, and win another trophy. It's been a long time. But for Pochettino to arrive and, and win against Marseille, would we'll be good. Neymar is back. Kimpembe is back. I don't know if they will start, but they were training today, uh, or they starting training on, on Monday. Sorry. So it'd be interesting to see what Poch does with them.
3: Very good. Well, there we have got one or two other exciting stories to bring you, like Schalke with the win, and some Parma drama down the wrong inner city as well. We'll get onto those next.
1: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more.
2: You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power.
3: Rafa Schalke, 30 games without a win. This weekend, they face Hoffenheim. 31 games would have tied the record... But instead, they win
5: 4-0. Extraordinary. They won in style, which is even more surprising, perhaps. I mean, Hoffenheim were poor. They were the sort of side that maybe Schalke had the best chance of winning against. But they still took their chances really well. Mafia Hoppe, who'd only ever scored one goal for the under-19s for Schalke, was given a chance by Christian Gross, And literally the first chance he had, he took beautifully well a little Dink with his left foot, which is his weaker foot, uh, over the keeper. And then he just continued scoring. And Amin Harit added a fourth. Harit was superb throughout, um, setting up those goals for for Hoppy. And we all don't know really what Christian Goss has done to coax that kind of performance out of Harit because he hasn't shown that type of quality of the last 18 months or so but we know there is a hugely talented player there mm. um, and it, it finally clicked for Schalke. Schalke picking up their first clean sheet since last February extraordinary
3: Hopper meantime a new Hopper as I hope Schalke are uh, uh, dubbing him uh, picking up a hat-trick in 21 minutes as you mentioned he's not really started much nor uh, has he scored at a senior level either but so composed
5: for all three of the goals hadn't scored at any level much really uh, before for Schalke, which makes this all the more uh, surprising and, and impressive. But yeah, I think Christian Gross just had a good feeling for this guy. You know, he, he gave him a chance. Um, he was playing just ahead of um, Mark Ut, who is their regular centre forward, if you will. Uh, Vedat Sibisevic, you remember, was, was fired uh, not long ago. Um, Having only played less than half a season for them as a free agent, and Pop has done amazingly well. He's become the first American to actually score three goals in a game in the Bundesliga, which just shows you just how extraordinary his impact has been.
3: Mm-hmm. Hoffenheim playing in purple in this match—how bad are they?
5: <laughs> they <a> beat Bayern. <laughs> I can't think of any um pun here with purple and 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 playing badly or you know going through a bad spell or anything, but. um they they were pretty poor, James. They were pretty poor. And question marks are being raised or questions are being asked about Sebastian Hoeneß, uh, the nephew of uh, Uli Hernes, the Bayern president, who's in charge there, of course, as a coach. Um, they've now lost, I think, three of the last four games, uh, not playing well at all. Um, did it do okay-ish uh, for some parts of the game before they went behind and then it completely fell apart. So, I don't think he's he's necessarily on the line just yet, but they need to really ramp up their their output otherwise um he might lose his job. Mm.
3: Hoffenheim currently lying in 14th place in the 18 team Bundesliga, 5 points above the playoff relegation or the relegation playoff spot. Now, me time in Italy, an even more dramatic position for the uh, ever-popular Parma. They are penultimate right now in Serie A, but two points off safety after yet another defeat uh, this weekend. Last week, they fired their manager Fabio Liverani and brought back, James, the tremendously successful in the past, Roberto D'Aversa, the, who had left them over the summer over you know different views on investment and that kind of thing.
6: Yeah, the sporting director who brought in uh, Devertze left uh, for Genoa. There was some speculation around about this time last year that uh, having worked with Antonio Conte, he was going to go to Inter. Um, and I think when Faggiano left, um, yeah, Devertze wanted to know what the, the club's plans were. And uh, ultimately he was uh, dismissed after getting them up from the third division to the second division to the first division. And had uh, consolidated their place within it with a very old team. Um, in the meantime, you know, Parma sold a controlling stake in the club to uh, the Krauss Group, um, who came in. Uh, they'd already basically made Fabio Liverani Deves as a uh, successor. They'd already appointed a new sporting director before uh, the Krauss Group um, were at the helm, and uh, and then they went and signed a load of very very young players. Um, so you have this kind of you have two extremes at Parma of guys like Bruno Alves who are uh, you know, in their 50s um, and then you know, guys like Maxim Buzi who's, uh, who's probably still going to school and uh, it didn't really mix uh, well to, to make Parma competitive. So they brought De Versa back um, and uh, I think they'll need to intervene again uh, in the January transfer window to keep them up because they haven't scored at home. I think in seven games, which is the worst run that a Serie A team has had in in, in that respect since 1977. I mean, yeah, they've lost five straight. their second bottom, and uh, I think urgent action was was needed. So uh, I know there are a lot of Parma fans out there. Um, they'll be they'll be hoping they can turn this around because uh, it uh, has been looking bleak of late.
3: Well, this latest defeat coming at the hands of Simone Inzaghi's Lazio, a two-nil defeat at the Ennio Tardini. Lazio, uh, who were very grateful for the points given how they've uh, slipped out of the top four picture of late, have a huge chance this weekend to relaunch their uh, Champions League ambitions and perhaps beyond uh, with the Rome derby against Roma. Uh, Roma currently lying third, Lazio eighth, six points behind the Giallorossi. Ooh, that's a big one.
6: Yeah, it's Friday night, uh, I think, this game. And mm. uh, it was Lazio's birthday a couple of days ago. They turned 121, which... For them, it's always a big deal because, you know, as the kind of slogan on the back of their collar says, they are the first team in Rome. Um, and uh, they had an audience with the Pope um, and and uh, seem to be hitting form again, as Atalanta are after the Champions League group stages are finished. Basically, now that they don't have to play um, three games a week as exacting as the ones in the Champions League, there is Coppa Italia coming uh, in the meantime, um, they are playing much better. Um, but uh, Roma have been in fantastic form under under Fonseca, and uh, I suppose you know that the knock on Fonseca has been his his record in the big games, uh, and that wasn't necessarily answered at the weekend, even though he's you know he's drawn at home with uh, Juventus and Inter so far this season. I, I suppose if you look at the context of both those games, they played half an hour against ten men Juve and didn't beat them. Uh, in fact Ronaldo equalised when Juve were down to 10 men and in this inter-game they took the lead uh, and uh, and didn't beat them so he didn't win either of the derbies last year, uh, first one was a bit of a, uh, a baptism of fire, um, although they did draw and then the second one they dominated but Lazio somehow contrived to uh, to get a point after I think Paulo Lopez kind of threw it into his own net so um, should be a, a good game with uh, Dzeko Immobile and Pellegrini, Luis Alberto, and uh, Mkhitaryan in such great form. tarian has been brilliant um, Mm. so far this season. One of the Player of the Year candidates in Serie A.
3: Interesting. Another of the Player of the Year candidates, meanwhile, uh, featuring in probably the game we'll finish off with today, which was Benevento, managed by the other Inzaghi, Pippo, losing 4-1 at home to Atalanta. Atalanta continuing their excellent run of form. They're unbeaten since the end, as you mentioned, of the Champions League Group stages scoring loads of goals again, and all of this without Papu Gomez.
6: Yeah, um, I think it's it's been timely for uh, Jean Pierre Gasparini that uh, Josip Ilicic um, has uh, hit hit form again, just as Papu uh, and Gasp had that uh, altercation, um, the bust up in, uh, half-time at halftime uh, time in the Mitchelland game. Um, but yeah, I think also to have Luis Muriel, uh, you can always just count on him to come off the bench and score goals. It was quite funny at the weekend. Um, you know, he was told to kind of get ready and warm up to come on and every time he got up, Atalanta scored and uh, he's got to the stage now where he thinks it's superstition that, you know, when they need a goal, Gasp basically says, come on, come on, Lewis, uh, warm up and, uh, and lo and behold, they scored and then when he comes on, he scores as well. I think he's he's third all time now uh, among players who've scored the most goals from the bench um, in, uh, in Serie A. So, but Ilicic, I mean, this was this was all about him. He was it. it, it just felt like he could uh, he could do whatever he wanted. He was a complete uh, ma. It was a masterful performance. I think he had 156 touches. He hit the post, set up a set up a wonderful goal. I mean, he was he was unplayable, and uh, it's great to see because I think you know up until lockdown uh, last year he was the best player in City, and if he can get back to that level, then. You know, as we're seeing across Europe, given title races are t- so tight, you know, Atlanta were the best team in the second half of last year. If they can kind of replicate that again, then they might challenge as well.
3: Although in those days they had Papu Gomez turning out for them. This time he's more busy posting pictures of his, uh, his heat map to show how his average position isn't where his manager said it was when he said he wasn't following instructions. <laughs> that's all going to end well. Quick question uh, from Chewy. Who wants to know can Ahmed Diallo make an impact in the United first team this season or is it going to be under 23s for him alongside Pelestri? This is the 41 million euro signing, Ahmed Diallo, who's who's played what, 24 first team minutes, is it?
6: Yeah, he made his debut um last November, so November 2019 in that seven nil, seven one win uh, against Udinese scored. Um, yeah diminutive looks like you can easily push him off the ball but he's strong I, I think it would be a surprise to me if he was to uh, come in and make an impact straight away although Gasparini wanted to hang, keep him keep him around um, was kind of uh, he thought there were some difficulties in him getting uh, a work permit and that he could maybe have the second half of the season at Atlanta um, which I think goes to show that you know, Gasp feels he's ready even though he hasn't really played a lot this year Um but uh, I would, yeah. I mean, there're going to be enough games going around. You know, United still, still in the Europa League. Um, there's what FA Cup um, as well. So maybe you'll get some some opportunities in in, in those games. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think United were looking for a, a right winger anyway. You know, a lot of people looked at that as being, uh, yeah, the, the wing position in general as being Sancho's. But uh, maybe in the meantime, Diallo can try and make it his own. But uh, uh, I'd be patient with him.
3: Excellent. Well, that brings us to the end of this Totally Football Show European edition. Unless Alvaro or Jules or James or Rafa, there's anything else you want to leave our listener with?
7: Yes, I have to say something. The Spanish Super Cup starts on Wednesday. Mm. And basically, the first title of the season is going to be given on Sunday. And I think that Super Cup, a little bit like the Carabao Cup in the UK, can have a revamping effect for the clubs that play. It and the clubs that win it, obviously. Excellent. Who's in it, it Alvaro? It's uh, Real Madrid, Athletic Club Bilbao, <sighs> Barcelona and Real Sociedad.
3: Wow. Okay. That's right. It's that new format for team Super Cup. Mm-hmm. Mm.
7: Yes. It will be played in Andalusia. last season, it was played in Saudi Arabia. And it's going to be interesting because Real Madrid and Barcelona uh, could hypothetically meet, meet in the final. And it will be very nice to see another El Clásico. If
3: they can get there.
7: Yeah, exactly. For me, it would be nicer to watch a Basque derby, but I know that for the majority of the listeners of this show, probably a Real Madrid-Barcelona in the final can be more attractive.
3: Right. No, I mean, but if they manage to get out of Madrid uh, with the uh, weather, you know.
7: Yeah, uh, in fact, that's true. Uh, Real Madrid won't, apparently, uh, fly to Madrid from Pamplona. They will go straight to to Malaga now, and uh, basically they won't be uh, in Madrid for eight or nine days. But I think that they can do without being at home for a week. I'm sure.
3: Excellent. Well, you'll bring us up to date on what happens there in next week's show. For now, it's many, many thanks to all of you and to producer Charlie and you, listener. It's been great being with you for the last hour or so. We'll be back next week, so do make sure you join us then. Have a super time in the meanwhile for now from all of us here. It's goodbye.
2: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network.